Welcome to the Better Together podcast with the Brain Center of Green Bay. I'm your host, Kelsey O'Donnell-Mothy, Communications Manager for the Brain Center of Green Bay. Before we get started, we'd like to give a special thanks to our season sponsor, Green Bay Packers Give Back, and our sustaining sponsor, Festival Foods. At the Brain Center of Green Bay, we are, com- we are committed to making brains better through collaboration, advocacy, research, and education, which is why last year we launched a webinar series under the same name and why we are so excited to take this series to the next level, a podcast. Over the course of this season, you will learn from our founders, coaches, collaborative partners, community members, educators, to explore ways we can maximize our brain health throughout our lives with sleep, nutrition, physical exercise, neuroplasticity, the arts, and so much more. Without further ado, let's dive into our first ever episode. I had the wonderful opportunity to sit down this past April with Dr. Dave Donarski, a co-founder of the Brain Center and our in-house sleep guru to talk all things sleep and why it is so important to not only our brain health, but to our overall health to make sure that we get the quality restorative sleep we need. Before we jump into anything, Dr. Dave, could you just tell us a little bit about your career history and what got you into being so passionate about sleep? Well, one of the pride that I have is I was born and raised in Green Bay. And so, you know, so I came back to Green Bay. But I I went to Central Catholic and then to Marquette and then Marquette Medical School. And then I took my residency out in Pennsylvania. And then I came back to Green Bay then to to work and, and, and psychiatry, basically. Sleep has always been an issue, but in the medical field, when I was in my training in early years, basically it was how to prescribe medication to help people sleep. And that was found now to be a secondary or third time approach in working with people with sleep. So the cognitive behavioral sort of approach is a much more important way because putting another drug in just to be able to get to sleep is that becomes you get you become dependent upon it which has its own particular problems and so basically what we're hoping to, for you to get out of this is an informational sort of thing about sleep that you will be able to kind of help yourself take make choices for yourself because after all it's the person that you see in the mirror that makes the decisions on what you're going to be able to do. When you were in practice, did you notice that a lot of people were coming in too with sleep issues or that was something that was affecting I think their mental health? Any, any person who has an anxiety disorder recognize, uh, is, has sleep dis- disturbances. And I think also is that sleep is one of the early signs of being under stress, early signs of being able to have issues or problems in your life. And and I, I think that sleep has taken a second back seat as far as the cause and importance of it. And and now it's finally coming about that if you do the cognitive behavioral changes, it's a much more meaningful thing in your life than, than just taking another pill. Mm-hmm. Could you expand a little bit on what you mean by the cognitive behavioral? Okay, cognitive means I think about something to be able to do. So if I'm building a house, it's, uh, you know, I have, if I'm starting to think about it, I need some materials, you know, and mm-hmm. I need to be able to have some sort of a plan and I need to be able to use that in the right effect. So I don't want to put the, the windows in the basement and I don't, you know, that 
I think you have to take the information that you have and be able to apply it for you. And remember, you are your, that person you see in the mirror is the one that you really have to learn how to take care of. You don't, you know, but I'll bet you $100 that most mothers will take care of their child first before taking care of themselves. And I think that, again, most mothers don't think that they need to have the sleep that the baby has to have. And if you could take that female approach to taking care of babies and take it to the person in the mirror, it really does make a big difference as far as your health care benefits. Because after all, what my experience has been, the most women put themselves last. So, you know, if they have five kids, there are six, well, they got a husband and their seventh. And, and it, it tends to be on that basis. And what we're hoping that you'll do today with the information you get is be able to apply this in your overall health situation, because we're, we're going to ask you to think about what you can do to take better sleep habits to bed with that person that you see in the mirror on a regular, regular basis. And if you can take the concerns to your family doctor, to your healthcare professionals to be able to work it through. This is not a treatment sort of thing. It's an inf information, I, I was going to say hour, but maybe it'll be longer than that. Perfect. Yes. The first, let's talk about the pillars of brain health. We have the seven, or I'm sorry, the six, which are so important not only to our bodies, but also to our brains. And number one is restorative sleep, which is what we're going to talk about today. But what I found really interesting in preparing for this is if one of these other six are off, it could affect our sleep. Isn't that True. Wouldn't you say that, Dr. Donarski, that if we're not eating correctly or exercising, managing our stress, avoiding illness, I, our I, sleep could be off? I think you're very correct because I think sleep always gets put back is, or the last thing to consider as far as your health, what's going on. So if something's wrong with you, you find something else instead of looking at your sleep patterns. And so I, I just really think that sleep has taken a back seat for so many years, and it has to come about, except if you're a baby, then that's first place, you know, except if you're maybe 90 years old, then it becomes first, second, and third place. And it's important, I think, to realize the fact is that too many people do not look at their sleep patterns and what they have been doing for years, because we are victims of our habits and and so many times going to bed is one of our worst habits. I would agree. So it basically has to mean taking care of yourself. And sleep is one of those things that gets pushed in the background. Also, many people in their entertainment world push sleep in the background. And sad to say, many people, when, they, when they're looking for pleasure are doing more alcohol type of stuff and, and are being able to not take care. So being up all night is kind of a, a neat thing to be able to do as you're growing up. And sometimes it gets to be a neat thing to do. And just because this is what you have done for your own inner, inner entertainment. And I'm saying to you that sleep is so important that if you don't sleep well, if you are having deprived hours of sleep on a regular basis, your cognitive abilities fade 
very quickly. And can you expand a little bit on what you mean by that our cognitive abilities are going to fade? Well, um, basically what happens is that your 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 brain function is is impacted. And I think that you can almost, if you've had restless sleep for whatever reason and getting up, you know, it, it is one, your your desire or your ambition is, is taken away. Secondly is you don't give a darn about what's going on. You just feel lousy and that's what what is it? And thirdly, is the fact is that even when you lie down, you're getting yourself under stress because you're overthinking or, or doing so. So it's again the cognitive behavioral thing is meaning really give your brain a chance of being able to get the rest that it needs to be able to do the job that you expect it to do. Because mm-hmm. if we aren't letting our brains rest or do the job that it needs to do, rather, then it's going to kind of trickle over into maybe while we're driving or things like that, correct? Like, Well, when you say things like that, just mm-hmm. take driving, for instance, is a fact is that how many times have you heard that there's been an accident because somebody fell asleep at the wheel? Think about it. Where in your driver's license does it say you should not sleep while you're driving? And if you were to tell the the people who are going to give you the license that this is part of your behavior, you wouldn't get a license, would you? No. And and think about the fact is, is that we expect ourselves to be able to be up all night and then still drive to Milwaukee without any problem. And, And basically, you have to understand who you are. Now, there are some people who could maybe do that without any significant problems, but the average person would fall asleep somewhere around Oshkosh. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and when you think about it, is the fact is that you know, sleep is something that your brain and body requires. And one of the things that I, I have in my, my notes is, is that one of the pillars of, of brain health is restorative sleep. Now think about what that word means, restorative. So that means you have the opportunity to be able to, almost like a battery, charge up your brain again and be able to get it to function well. Mm -hmm. But if you don't sleep, your battery or brain becomes less and less able to handle the job that it's supposed to handle. And so many times you don't even know this. So how many people have you known that said, boy, I really was on my, my everything I wanted to do. I wanted to fall asleep on the wheel and, and just hit somebody. But nobody says I want to drive into somebody. Nobody wants an accident. And how many accidents are out there? with the knowledge that the driver had about sleep, but he didn't or she didn't pay attention to it. Mm -hmm. Really, when you think about it, where and what can you do if you're sleep-deprived? I should say do well, because you can do anything. You can do anything sleep-deprived, but you're not going to do it well. And, and, you know, with the number of accidents we have, with the speed that we have, with other things that we have, you have to be pretty alert. You do. So if you've been up for 24 hours, 
just think about you know what your what your brain is asking of you. I need some sleep. What is circadian rhythm? Okay, circadian rhythm is is basically is that your your entire system, your your, your consciousness, your uh, your muscle strength, your coordination, your ability to think, etc. It, it all becomes you know that's that has to be alert to be able to do it, and so. Most often, that it begins to be that there's faulty thinking or faulty emotional sorts of things. And I may, when I'm saying faulty, why are you so upset? Because it may be raining, you know. And and, and yet, if you're losing sleep, you know, that may be something that would happen to. You. But basically, remember, sleep is restorative. Well, so think about that. Your ladder isn't restorative. Your stove isn't restorative, you know. But our human brain is restorative. and But it does require it to have the sleep. Mm-hmm. So it isn't as if nothing is happening if you're going to sleep. Mm-hmm. A lot of things are happening, particularly your reserve, your strength, your abilities, your thought processes, etc. How many of you have had two all-nighters in a row? I have not in a very long time since I was in college. Okay. Yeah. Right. Now, you were 18 or 19, right? Mm-hmm. And you made it through those two nights. Not well. <laughs> well, <laughs> did you just hear what you said? Not well. Mm-hmm. But why did you have two all-nighters in a row? I was studying. Yeah. It was finals. I had yeah. no choice. Yes. And, and guess what happened? The more you studied, if you went three all-nighters, you'd have done worse than two all-nighters. Mm-hmm. And if you did one all-nighter, it was not as bad as two all-nighters. Mm-hmm. Okay. But think about our attitude about that. I can stay up all night and study. And probably, you know, because of your age, you had some, you got some positives out of it. But the more you were to stay up, the worse it would have been on your exam. <clears throat> you know, there's a time when you're probably eight or nine years old and you stay up all night, how cool that was, you know. But but think about it. Most often than not, the kid, you're, you were back asleep either by 10 o'clock in the morning or for sure by in the afternoon sometime. But most important, you did not have major responsibilities at that time. Okay. So even if you're 16 to 18 and in college, you know, your own responsibility is you're studying and then your courses and stuff. And if you miss a course, it's no big deal. You know. But so if I study all night, is that really better? Now, think about it from a positive sense. If you can maintain your rhythm and your activity and be awake and be alert and be able to do it, you know, you can do a 24 hours mm-hmm. in, at certain ages. Myself here at 88, if I did try to do a 20, 24 hour, you know, it would be very, very difficult. And it's tough for me to pick it, make it past like 830 at night. And okay. I'm no, no, think about it. You guess I'm over 25. I was close with that. <laughs> No, no, but but think again. Even at thirty-three, you still have more than I'm at eighty-eight. I, I don't have that reserve in me that you have in yourself. Mm-hmm. So you can push yourself a little bit more. But if you did it several days in a row, you would have the same results that I would have with one night. 
Mm-hmm. So I think that. So I hope you get that understanding that that basically is is that it is restorative. It gives you back your thought processes accurately. It gives you back your air energy. It gives you back your coordination. You know, mm-hmm. and and I think we have to understand that sort of thing. That what I did at seventeen, at twenty seven, is not something that I'm still able to do at forty seven and fifty seven. Yeah. Um. In regards to circadian rhythm, I've heard you say before in other conversations that humans are the only ones that actively delay sleep. Do you think we should get back to following our circadian rhythm more than we are now instead of just delaying sleep like we do? See, I I think that's probably a a yes answer, but then when you have to look at the individuals and the work that they're doing and and their activities that they're they're doing, Mm -hmm. I think you can fudge that somewhat and be able to, you know, to, I mean, so you're only getting seven hours of sleep instead of eight. Maybe you're only getting five hours of sleep once a week. But if you were getting four to five hours of sleep every night, Mm -hmm. it would take its toll. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and that's the important. And remember, we're victims of habit. You know? And so you see, start learning how to do staying up all night. Mm-hmm. What about shift workers? They're not following the circadian rhythm. They can't ever really adjust to, or can they adjust to their shift work yeah. and their different schedules? You, you bring up a very important kind of situation because the shift work is, is, that has been done in the past has generally faded out in most institutions at the present time. And that if they have shift work, they usually have permanent employees for the different times. So from 7 to 3 is one group, from 3 to 11 and 11 to 7. Those are three different groups. And they may alternate those somewhat, but they don't do that in a week-to-week sort of basis because of what they found out, that sleep deprivation would occur if you had that kind of a, a, a schedule. And then for individuals who have done shift work and now they've retired from it and they're back to not living that schedule, will they ever be able to readjust from that or are they just permanently kind of in that routine? The scientific answer is our brain is plastic, so our brain is capable of being able to make that change. Is it going to be an easy sort of change is another question for you to do. Because there are some people who are, quote, night owls. There are some people who are morning people. And, you know, and, and, and so if you can work in that sort of situation and, and set up your day schedule along that line. Uh, and sometimes you don't have a chance for that, uh, being able to make the changes. But fortunately, it's mostly for younger people, people all. And, it, and, and they think that when you think about uh, job situations is that you pretty much can work toward the, your, your hours that are good for you. And, you know, and there are some people who are not owls, and there are some people who aren't. And I think you just have to have to know what is there. But sleep deprivation will sure come about if you're not choosing the right one. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Could you talk us through the stages of sleep? All right. Let's let's just start with falling asleep. You know that it's rare to for people to just jump in bed and and 
fall asleep. All right. So there's some time period. And usually there's somewhat of a routine that goes on before. Well, one that's that use most people do, you got to take off your clothes and put on your back clothes, you know, I mean, and you got to take the, the, the sheet down, the blankets down, et cetera, you know, and before you curl in, you know, sort of thing. So you have some things that you're doing. And so, so truly the preparation going to bed is a forerunner about being able to fall asleep that night. And, 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 and truly, again, I think too many people play the game of taking their electronic instruments or their television set or, uh, you know, even, even such things as music, although that's a little bit better because if you tone it down somewhat, you know, it's, it's, it's more soothing than, than interrupting, but, but truly you have to set some sort of a routine for yourself. Now, isn't it strange that when we have little kids in our household, we have the finest routines in the world. Right? They they eat their food and they you know get changed and their diaper gets changed and etc cetera, etc. Cetera, and we do that. You get to be well, fourteen, sixteen. All that goes to go back, you know, and, 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 and we don't have those regular routines. So if there's anything that I think is, is helpful in the beginning is having a routine that you begin to go to sleep at a certain time or go get ready for bed to, go to sleep at a certain time and that you go through a series of things. And, and you know, and some people have a religious sinus time that they do it. A lot of a lot of people do hygiene, at, you know, before that, and and so they they have their sort of routine to be able to do it. And think about it from a standpoint of what you ta- were taught by your mother and father when you were a little bitty baby. They had a routine. Well, because if they didn't have a routine, they didn't sleep very well. You know, and, and and again, you have to just kind of realize is that. You can force yourself not to sleep for a while, but you can't force yourself to not sleep for a solid three days or so. You know, you will fall asleep somewhere along the line. And why is that? I mean, I mean, my goodness, you don't want to get in an accident Mm-mm. if you're driving a car without three nights of sleep. You know, why do you want to get in an accident? But most people say, well, I can do that. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's not. It's not. Because your body is saying, you need to sleep. Now, even if you're sleeping every night, you have the restorative sleep. Because you do make dents in your energy level. You make dents in your nutrition, etc., etc. So I think, again, the concept of sleep being restorative mm-hmm. probably has to get across more directly to people because that's basically what it is, restorative. I'm just kind of, I'm going to jump around here. Is it okay for people to take a nap? Should I've read places that we should only take a 20-minute nap or a two-hour nap, not to go any longer than two hours or more than 30 minutes. What's the science behind that or your take on it? Well, I think the biggest science behind it is the fact that you break up a routine mm-hmm. or you begin another routine that is is taken away from the nighttime routine. And, and, and again, because restorative sleep 
if you do if you do sleep well it, and it does do the restoring, you can be more alert, you know, <laughs> and for a period of time. So because and I don't quite know how to say this, but we as humans really do have a tendency to have habits. And and if you start changing things around and starting mm-hmm. different habits, it's pretty hard to break those again unless you take the cognitive behavioral approach to it. And and I think that, you know, one night of disturbed sleep is not good the end of the world. On the other side, five nights in a row, is a significant problem. Mm-hmm. So just say, we'll use myself as an example. I have five nights of disturbed sleep. Can I take melatonin to help me maybe ease into sleep more or to help me sl- like sleep yeah. through the night? Well, I, I would say yes, because that's really not as much of a, of a drug as it mm-hmm. is of a part of a, of a system, a chemical system in your body, and that you're, you're, you may not be producing the melatonin, you may be doing it, and, it, and it's a, a good way. The other sort of thing, think about if you're doing something positive to help you sleep, mm-hmm. and if you accept that, you may be able to have a sugar corner tablet and do it, get the same result. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, yeah. But again... What you're doing is a routine positively to help you sleep. And so you're not taking melatonin to stay up. Exactly. So like more of the Advil PM or the Tylenol PM, they're not the same as melatonin. And so if someone needs help sleeping, they should go for the melatonin opposed to the Advil or Tylenol PM. I would say cognitive behavioral melatonin doctor. Mm Mm-hmm. Perfect. Now, can anyone ever catch up on sleep? That's a good question. And and I, I think probably I have to answer it by saying if you can develop the right new routine, mm-hmm. you know, that you can maybe not catch up what you lost, but you can factor in another whole, mm-hmm. what should I say, behavior system that allow you to sleep. And so you can't change what was there before, but you can make changes so that you don't have to repeat it. <clears throat> and now that's not a one-nighter, you know. I mean, that's uh, that's got you got to really be interested in. And and I think with too many people that the gadgets that they have that become, you know, for instance, lying there at night not being able to fall asleep, it's a lot easier to put your the cell phone on. Yeah. yeah. And have that harsh blue light come back at you. I mean, there's been so many things that I've read that says don't look at your phone, you know, maybe 30 minutes to an hour before you go to bed. Don't have a TV in your room. If you have an alarm clock, maybe turn it the opposite way so the light isn't shining at you. Yeah. Right. And, and I'll just think about those sort of things, you know. And so, again, what they're saying is light in many different capacities really can keep you awake. Well, most people get up when the sun comes up, comes up you know. I mean, mm-hmm. And, and I, I think that there's two parts to this. One is you need to have safe pathways if you get up at night and you need to have those lit. Mm-hmm. All right. So they're not stripping on anything. And, and, and so, again, this routine for you is, is an important sort of thing so that Basically, you could almost get up from the bed, go to the bathroom with your eyes closed because you know the directions, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. and make it a, a, a you know a, a safe routine mm-hmm. type of thing to yeah. do. 
And I was going to ask that too, because I had heard you say previously something, you know, like make sure all the lights are off in your house, but my bedroom is on the second floor and there's not a bathroom up there. So I need to leave a light on downstairs so I don't tumble down the steps. So I'm glad that you have given me the approval to keep a light on so I don't break my neck. I have to say I missed the boat then because, you know, you're saying it can't be dark Mm -hmm. because you are going to be half awake Mm -hmm. and fully alert, you know, and and so you have to be safe because tumbling down the steps wakes you up. That it does. And as Dr. Luloff would say, falling is never allowed. So we, we don't want that either. Yeah. Now, what if someone is tossing and turning at night? What should they be doing? Should we be getting up, maybe reading a book somewhere else? Or... When you say tossing and turning, you're also saying they're not sleeping. Correct. Okay. Because you can toss and turn and still be sleeping. Mm-hmm. Okay. Maybe could you go into both of that? So the tossing and turning when we are asleep, what does that mean, or what stage of sleep are we in? I think that what that means for me is you're in lighter stages of sleep. Okay, and that you're more able to wake up and and Mm -hmm. be able to do, you know, and and, because if you're in stage four sleep, you're not going to be doing much. Okay, but you know, what about tossing and turning while you are awake? Should we just continue to lay in bed until we fall asleep? Or what's the best way to help us fall asleep if that's the situation? I will. This is why we need to have some behavior modification experience Mm -hmm. practice. Mm -hmm. You have to be able. So I would say that to practice this at night, I would encourage you sometime when you have time during the day, just to go and try to relax as much as you possibly mm-hmm. can for 15 to 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Now, you may fall asleep at these times, and mm-hmm. if you do, that's only a positive sort of thing. But if you fall asleep for four hours, you know, and it's not a good thing. now 6 o'clock at night, you don't <laughs> go to bed at 2 the next morning, you know, you have to pay some attention. So, so again, use it so that it's a help tool for your sleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, things like how hot the room should be or how cool the room should be, uh, you know. Uh, and even like you have your shades pulled if the sun comes up and, and shines in your room. Mm-hmm. Or what about the moon, you know, and, and sort, of, sort of thing. I do like having the moon shine into my room at night. That may make me strange, but, well, it, no, but it's, a, it's, it's relaxing. For you. If yeah. it's, a, it's just a relaxing thing for you. Mm-hmm. How cool is that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, You know, I, I think, again, that one of the things we fail to realize is that a lot of times with our kids, we have used music or songs mm-hmm. or something to help them settle down. Mm-hmm. And, and so it isn't so much a, the noise or the auditory mm-hmm. sort of thing, but it's the ability for you to relax, the ability mm-hmm. for you to begin to recognize because this is your sleep time. Mm-hmm. Some of the things that I've started to incorporate into my sleep routine is maybe like an hour or so before I go to bed, I write into a journal and kind of, I like to call it a brain dump. And I just put everything that's in my head in this notebook or my journal. So that way I'm not thinking about it when I go to sleep because I am a very anxious person and there's always an idea or something rolling around in my head and I'd like to just get it out. Yeah. And see, one of the difficulties about that is the fact is that you don't ever come to a conclusion. 
You know, I mean, mm-hmm. if, if you give yourself a half an hour to come to a conclusion how you're going to paint your bedroom, you know, yeah, then that, that you can take an active part. But if you just cook on it for two, three, four hours, you can cook on it all night mm-hmm. almost. You know? and, yeah. And it's, it's, and the other thing that sometimes we fail to you know, know yourself. What are the things that you react to in a relaxing sort of yeah. a way? And, you know, one of the things that has helped me somewhat is the fact is that if I say, I can't do anything about this until tomorrow, what is that? Irritating my wife. <laughs> I'm sorry. I couldn't let that go by. <laughs> Dr. Dave, you cracked me up. I lost my train of thought now. What about, so exercise is very important, yeah. but should we be working out before we go to sleep? Like, is I feel that's going to get our heart rate up and then we won't be able to fall asleep. Mm-hmm. So maybe earlier in the day, later in the day, not doing any. I think that you have to prepare yourself in, a, in your own way, about like the half hour or 45 mm-hmm. minutes before sleep. What Perfect. does that mean for you? It's a, kind of a winding down period. And I, I have to say that's what I use for myself. You know, I, 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 I want to go to bed in a, in a half an hour. What do I have to do? You know, I, I don't have to, oh, I got four bedrooms to clean or something. I mean, I have to really kind of wind it down. And I choose sometimes to use reading because sometimes the books that I read are too exciting or mm-hmm. are important and and so I have to kind of pick and choose and the one I'm reading now before bedtime is John Wisconsin you know so that's mm-hmm. kind of a you know I know a little bit about Wisconsin mm-hmm. but but it's it's not a, you know like a thriller so, so if I don't know that so what if I do know it so what so you're saying don't read a suspenseful book or a thriller or if you're going to do, do it, it, set your time and then finish that and then go, and then go to bed. Step. One of the things that I've started to do, thanks to my phone actually, is it sets up a wind down because that brought it up a wind down time about a half hour before I want to go to sleep. And then it shuts off all notifications. So that way I don't get a single notification. And you don't. Yes. Right. And I don't get it from starting at like 8 o'clock at night until I think six o'clock the next morning. Right. And because that was a disruptor. And so we don't want to have those disruptors in our bedroom. Like we don't want to maybe work out of our bedroom or watch TV in there. We want to keep our room strictly for sleep. Yeah. Right. Well, well, just think about our forefathers mm-hmm. and mothers. Yeah. All right. They didn't have TV sets. They didn't even have electric lights. You know, they didn't have a radio. You know, but most would be at the the wife singing or the husband singing. You know, but but again, so when dark came in, mm-hmm. it was pretty much time to close it down. When dark comes in, now it's time to put on a TV set. Now it's time to do you know other and uh, and, and think about it from another standpoint. Most parents will say. Reading to my children is really good before they go to bed. Well, why doesn't that still hold true for you? I mean, you can read, and but but if you read something exciting or upsetting or you know or necessary, I mean, you know, it can change a whole lot. Okay. Do you have any other tips for people on how to get a good night's sleep? 
I think temperature in the room is important. I also tend to think, I just did this as an experiment in my room. My alarm clock has a light on it. Well, if I turn it one way, all right, the light still comes back at me. I have to turn it this way, but then now it's on the walls. All right? So I have to figure out a way of doing it. So I, I put it on my nightstand and I put it so that it goes like 10 more feet before it hits a wall or something. And, and that seemed to work. Otherwise, the room is lit. You know? And I do want the light on when I get up at night so I don't fall on my nose. Okay. Yeah. But I, but I think that the routine and, and the ability to just kind of stay with it. And remember, they're going to change over a period of time. You don't have to be doing the same thing you did when you were 20 at 40. You're 88. You're 88. Yeah. You're one of the sharpest people I know. <laughs> so, personally, how do you think you've done that? You know something? I picked my parents pretty well. I, I, I think to my gene pool is, you know, a healthy. They were not the best. If there was anything that ran in a family, it was imbibing after work in the, in the brewery. Uh, but I also tend to think that the physical activity I was asked to do, I grew up on a farm, and that, that made a, a big difference. And then I think my involvement in sports when I was in high school and college and stuff. And I also think that my going through the three years of psychiatric residency was a big step as far as my learning how to live, learning, you know, sort of stuff. It wasn't just, you know, learning about different diseases as far as what, you know, how do people function and and that sort of stuff. So, uh, and I got a congratulate my dad and mom. They, they didn't know much when I was grew, living with them, but they knew a lot now. <laughs> and, and neither of them are alive, any, you know, but they raised six kids. And me being the fourth. So I got to tell you this. This is part of my life. I, here I am. I'm 10 years old, the youngest boy of four boys. Guess what my mom and dad do? Have two girls at that. <laughs> Guess where my status went? <laughs> I went from number one on the walk <laughs> to not even be recognized. <laughs> oh, but was, you know, one of the things is, is that it was so marvelous because <laughs> my mother was in big heaven. I mean, yeah. But the first one, and when the second one came, she she went one more step up. Mm-hmm. It was really something to see. And and I have to say this: the girls really brought brought in entirely different, of, you know, sort of uh, environment and the family. So it was kind of cool. But what was I thought was a real terrible thing turned out to be a blessing. <laughs> and, and you know, my dad had a sixth grade education in. He was a sharp man. Yeah. I, I, you know, he should have been in college, basically. But and my mom was—I mean, I don't know how she survived the farm, but she did, without shooting anybody. Oh, oh, but you know, think about this. Here's a lady. I'm the youngest of four boys, living in down in, in a good residential neighborhood in Green Bay, 
right? Ghouls were within walking distance, etc. Gets moved out to a farm. She doesn't know how to drive. She, you know, and and we were at least three blocks away from a main road. So you had a dirt road to get get to the main road and into town. All right. Well, and she she left me with a real boy. This lady can can do it if she wants to, you know. She learned how to drive, get off the farm, and she learned to get involved in other things. She became part of different groups in the in the church and stuff like that, you know. So they were good models. There was a while I didn't think so, but but they were. Uh, That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us. <laughs> Well, I always learn something new every time I talk to you about sleep well, thank or you for that, but, anything. You know, I think this is the nice thing that I, I like about this is the fact is that, you know, and, and when you think about the brain center, it, it just kind of, there, there's no no walls and, and stuff. It's, and you just continue to keep saying, wow, you know, what, what, what's up there? Can't fathom how... How a thought can control the number of synaptic connections that have to be met for me to verbalize things. Mm-hmm. It, it just uh, so I I think what we know about the brain now is probably about fifteen to twenty percent more, or fifty times more than what I learned when I was in in school. But but boy, I'll tell you, we still don't know. And and it, and it's such an interesting sort of thing. And when it says the brain's way of healing, isn't it kind of eye-opening when you think about? Well, I have appendicitis. My brain really has to get involved. I just can't have the surgeon. I just can't have a good healing doctor. My brain has to get involved with taking care of myself or doing what I have to do, whatever it requires to be able to be healthy. Mm. And, and I think we don't quite know how to do that yet with people to get across. You know. What does that person in the mirror require? When you were in med school, what was taught about sleep and how to handle those questions that would come up? The only thing that I remember is that when I was on clinical times that you learned how to prescribe sleeping pills. That was it? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I don't ever remember having tests on sleep. I don't ever remember. I, when I got into my psychiatric residency, had some uh, some things on sleep there, but it was mostly how to not prescribe. Now you got an understanding about it. That's and and you know, when I when I think about it, if there's one thing that that my childhood and my early adolescence did, you know, I I had a bed to sleep in. Even though I didn't like them waking me up in the morning, but it, but it was still part of my routine. Go to bed and get up, and, and it became a routine. And and I don't think many people have that sort of thing. That that it, it was consistent enough that you know, I, being on the farm, it was pretty regulated. So I feel blessed, and you know, it, although my poor mother got a lot of so you know, what the hell she want me to do now? Uh, but she she was a good good trooper, and, and my dad. I just gotta share this: is the man had a six 
or maybe six and a half grade education. He was as sharp as, you know, when he was in his late 70s and 80s, he was as sharp in things and, and interested in doing things. And, and he, you know, he never finished grade school, but he was a, a town supervisor for about 20 years. And he, he ran a big part of the Northern Paper Mill. He was, and, and you know, he, he left a good trail. And my mother left the trail as far as what you have to do with you on a family. You had great role models. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Did I know that when I was growing up? No. Mm-mm. Do I know it now? Yeah. yeah. This is the one thing that I really like about the, the Brain Center, and, and that is the fact is that we've come together as a body. <coughs> and not always happy with the pieces, but you know, they fit pretty well. And 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 it's always a, a learning experience, <clears throat> you know. And you just have to wonder how many doctors at the present time getting trained are getting a sense of being able to to really look at not just the physical side of people, who they are, mm-hmm. and, and how they're feeling mentally. Yeah, I've yeah. noticed that when I go in for my physical, I get a questionnaire. I used to get a paper questionnaire, but now it's just. In the room, the nurse will ask me, you know, on a scale of one to five, how I'm feeling, one being, you know, terrible or awful and five being great. And it kind of goes through all of your mental health. Do you feel depressed? Have you not wanted to do anything? So they're starting to take some action on that. But I think there could be more done about asking some of those questions about sleep. Well, you know, I I come through medicine at a time when the physical... Advances were just horrendously good. I mean, open heart surgery, you know, taking care of diabetics, epilepsy, you know, all that sort of stuff was just really coming out and well treated, sort of stuff. And I still think we haven't recovered from that and got into the total health system that mm-hmm. needs to be there. And I'm I'm much more convinced now that if you have a better attitude about taking care of yourself. You have a better health. Is that nobody's going to tell me when to retire? Yeah, and except that guy in the mirror. I don't listen to him very often. <laughs> but it's it's. Uh, what about Mary? Oh, are you aware what Mary does? I am aware what Mary she, does. She runs a library at St. Matthew's School. Right? Mm-hmm. Right? She's got a husband that she runs. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, it, and and basically she's uh, she's really involved in, mm-hmm. in, the, in her community, and so are you. Yeah. Well, yeah, but, but you guys are moving and grooving. Well, it it has been a good run. I have to say this, and you know, it, it's well. Just think, if you wouldn't have lit the fire and to Doctor Luloff and say, "Are we just going to sit and talk, or are we going to do something?" Yeah. Who knows what would have, yeah. how much longer it would have taken for the brain center to yeah, that, be formed. You know, that contact was, you know, going on for about a year or so. And then we finally said, what the hell are we going to do? And it, it's really kind of cool to see what's developed. And, 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 and you know, and I, I have to say this, and I'm not just trying to make you guys feel good. But, boy, I'll tell you, being involved with these ladies has made a big difference as far as our approach and what we're doing. It would just still be Rolf and I. I think we'd be too clinical yeah. and, and, and not as people-oriented. Yeah. So thank you. Well, thank you.
If you're hearing this message, you've listened to the entire episode of Better Together with the Brain Center of Green Bay. And for that, we want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We also want to thank our season sponsor, Green Bay Packers Give Back, and our sustaining sponsor, Festival Foods. We hope you enjoyed this new episode. And if you did, please leave us a review and share this episode with others who may be interested in this topic. Also, feel free to let us know what topics you'd like to see covered in future episodes. Get in touch in the comments or on Brain Center's social media networks. See you in the next episode.